Hey y'all, I am Catherine Mills and you are listening to the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. Today, we get a pipeliner's perspective on the patch. From cradle to grave, our influencer is the first to arrive and the last to leave. A lot is happening in our midstream sector and we get a first-hand perspective on prospecting, environmental impacts, lifestyle, and even protesters. Be it on foot or by bird, this leader was born to survey. Brandon Carey, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for joining. I'm so thrilled to get your perspective today because you were most definitely born to survey. You're leading (laughs) us into the midstream sector of what to expect, what's happening with field crews on the ground, all the way from field to firm. So before we jump all into that, give us your background. How did you get started? Why oil and gas? Why midstream? And quite frankly, why are you born to survey? (laughs) <laughs> Good question. Okay, so um, my background is basically civil engineering and surveying. I grew up in Kansas City, and uh, I didn't get involved in oil and gas until about 2006. Before that, I was Were you just, just following the money? There's no money. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, that's kind of what got me into it to begin with was uh, I heard about this opportunity. There was a firm in Kansas City at the time, Schaefer, Klein, and Warren, and they were doing pipeline surveying. Okay. And I didn't know anything about oil and gas at the time. All I knew about was land survey. Okay. You know, I was doing like boundary surveys, topographic mapping, construction staking, you know, just... That's really like cradle to grave. Yeah. Just yeah. general civil civil construction surveying. Okay. So. okay. And I had never really left Kansas City at that point. <laughs> so I got this opportunity. <laughs> welcome, to, yeah. welcome to the rest of the lower 48. <laughs> yeah. So I got this opportunity to go out on the road and... Um, they sent me up to Illinois on a Enbridge pipeline. Okay. So we were just doing preliminary mapping, getting the route established mm-hmm. um, to get all the permits in order and to get the alignment sheets done. Um, so you were kind of learning by like fire by baptism, so to speak. Yeah, they threw me out there with some guys that had a lot of experience um, doing some pipeline mapping and uh, as-built surveying and... Um, so they, I just, they just took me under their wing and taught me everything they knew, and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. I fell in love with the road, first of all, <laughs> just the, the ability to kind of travel around and live kind of as a vagabond, I guess you could say. Yeah, there's a different lifestyle with the yeah, it's with a very that se- sector. Yeah, it's a very nomadic lifestyle. So you get to see a lot of different, a lot of different parts of the country that you would normally never get to experience. And that's awesome. Yeah. And hiking long distances across remote areas of the country was always something I wanted to do. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a big believer in Bigfoot though. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it could be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. There's parts of it that were definitely scary, um, getting into it, especially when I came out West and started doing, um, surveying and mapping in the mountains uh-huh. growing up in kansas city there's not a lot of mountains there there are no mountains so, there <laughs> but yeah i just got that wanderlust and i started to learn more about the industry as a whole so through... what were they teaching you because you mean you had you'd seen some of it but yeah. there's there's a different difference well the, the biggest difference is they were teaching me about the constructability factors that go into preliminary design for right-of-way corridors okay so you have to learn about what all it takes to build a pipeline okay and you know um, you have to think about all that stuff while you're walking the route while you're doing the route survey you have to think about 
uh, where are we going? Where's the bore going to start and end? And uh, yeah. how much space do we need for the pullback on the bore? And it's really um, technical if you think about it. There's a lot of technical elements to it for yeah. sure. Um, and I got, I started doing some of the, some of the d- drafting work, some of the design work on the on the office side of that. Mm-hmm. So drawing up um, site plans and you know property exhibits that would show where the proposed pipeline goes through somebody's property. Yeah. The land agent would take that to the landowner or the farmer or whatever, whatever entity owned the land. Mm-hmm. So I started to get involved with uh, dealing with all the local government agencies, dealing okay. with the FERC, dealing with <laughs> FEMSA. All the fun ones. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with the landowners directly. Yeah. So I got to hear firsthand their, their opinions on the pipeline. Some what of them were, were pro, some of them are opposed, um, <laughs> as you know. You said that mildly hesitantly. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of different stories from a lot of different people across mm-hmm. the country about uh, we don't want the pipeline, or some of them are just like, we can't get enough of it because mm-hmm. it brings an economic boom exactly. to these communities. So there's so many different factors. There's so many different viewpoints on it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we see in the media is just... Uh, False. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a politically correct way to. Nope, to not say on it. this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all smoke and mirrors. I think a lot of it's just well, kind of propaganda. You <laughs> yeah. So you're on. It's Enbridge. propaganda. You're on Enbridge. You're learning from the ground up. Um, things are starting to stand out to you. Mm-hmm. What made you? How did you find your way into the next uh, project? Um. Well, that company contracted me out to multiple other companies, and I ended up traveling all throughout the north, like Wisconsin, Minnesota, eventually all over the east. I've, I've done work from Maine all the way to Florida, all across the east. Damn. I've worked in the Pennsylvania oil fields, West Virginia. So you've um, you've honestly gotten to basically survey and walk almost all of the country. <laughs> Well, that's the greatest thing about the surveying industry is we're the first people on the ground Mm -hmm. and we're the last people to leave. Yeah. And a lot of these sites or pipelines or right-of-ways, we've walked every inch of it. Exactly. Multiple times. So what what have been some of your biggest projects then that you've uh, gotten to? Because I know you've seen quite a bit. Yeah. Biggest project I've ever been on was the El Paso Ruby Lateral. Ooh, what was that? <laughs> so that was a really cool project. I was on that project for several years. Did the preliminary design for it out of a helicopter, actually. They flew me around in the deserts of Nevada and Utah. That is cool. To establish the first route. Yeah. Um, it changed more times than I can even remember. But basically, <laughs> that line was a natural gas pipeline that okay. went from Malin, Oregon, all the way to, uh, it was out north of Evanston, Wyoming. That's huge. So it, went th- it was 670-something miles. And you walked through, every inch of it, didn't you? I walked a lot of it. Or rode on a four-wheeler. Oh, that's fun, know, too. Through some of the most remote parts of northern Nevada, mm-hmm. eastern or southeastern Oregon. And I became familiar with the uh, Bureau of Land Management, mm-hmm. um, the Forest Service, um, you know, wildlife that was out there. We had to know, we had to learn so much about the local ecosystem and yeah i mean there's just too much to even begin to talk about <laughs> there's so much that went into that um, hundreds of landowners across the west i did boundary surveying to establish the property lines for all these properties that we crossed okay 
So that, that was probably the biggest job I've ever been on. Is there a difference between a, um, the perspective of landowners out east versus out west? Or do you think it's still a healthy mix with I think the it's a's and nays? It's a healthy mix. Good. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons. Yeah. <laughs> but it puts people on the grid. Like what you were doing was like giving people the opportunity mm -hmm. to have more accessible yep. and economical energy. Yeah, well, that's kind of the whole point of midstream is to provide local energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just because we can get it out of the ground doesn't mean we yeah. can utilize it without midstream. Exactly. And a lot of times it's the safest way to transport these products, too. It 100% is because... It's not a popular opinion, but it is the truth. I don't give a shit if it's a popular opinion. <laughs> Here's the reality. Didn't a train just blow up the other day and that made the news? Yeah. Well, what you see in the media about pipelines mostly is the... You know, when when there is a problem, it's blown way out of proportion, and people don't seem to understand that the infrastructure. Well, the infrastructure system that we have in place now, especially like out in California, is a big problem now. There's a aging pipeline system that mm -hmm. was not built to our current specs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, these pipelines don't last forever. They need yeah. to be rehabbed. Exactly. They need to be rebuilt. They need to be redone. So just um, like things in your house or the roadways yeah, exactly. or bridges. It's very common sense to think that over time you have to up your game. So when people are anti-pipeline and you know we don't want the pipeline this and that. They, oh, I bet you've seen lots of that. I've been directly involved with being on the front lines of <laughs> surveying the projects and I've also done some inspections so I've been on the construction site itself mm -hmm. where there are protesters where we literally can't even drive into the project site safely because they're these people are just in the way yeah you know mm -hmm. and I don't know generally what I've noticed throughout the country um, is the people that are opposed to the pipeline are you know they just drank the Kool-Aid <laughs> they, they listen to the propaganda yeah and we're uh, dramatic they don't have all the information exactly it's really unfortunate so what brought you down to Colorado after working on the Ruby uh, there was several projects in between um any ones that stood out to you it's tough to top that one <laughs> <laughs> but after traveling around in the east or in the, in the midwest for a little bit just doing various site projects I worked for One Oak for a little while this is all like contract jobs too. Yeah, yeah. You, know, they, you just get called out. Yeah. They could be two weeks. They could be two months. They could be a year and a half. You never know. Exactly. I've been sent on a project where they said it was going to only last a month, and I was there for a year. So <laughs> it's just it's part of the. Well, that's a good. That's a good situation, the, though. At least I hope it was. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. So I mean, just like a lot of pipeliners, I lived in a travel trailer for a while. A little teardrop. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, a little 22-foot camper you just towed around everywhere you went. <laughs> but what brought me out to Colorado was uh, this big job called the Front Range Pipeline for okay. Inter Enterprise. Okay. Um, it took us a year, about a year, maybe close to a year and a half, to do the preliminary design for it. It went from Weld County to Cushing, Oklahoma. Ooh. So my section of it went from Weld County down to around the around Colorado Springs area. Okay. Just east of Colorado Springs. That's a long way it was a big spread yeah I, I forget how many miles it was it was like 100 and something 160 miles i think that's awesome so were so, you heading up the surveying portion of it yeah i mean another guy the yeah. survey supervisors yeah yeah we managed i think up to 10 field crews at the time we were just out doing the route survey that's a lot of people yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i moved my family at the time out to castle rock we lived in castle rock for a little while 
because I have family out there. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of central to the project. Okay. I ended up just transferring my residency to Colorado because I just I felt why the heck not I love the natural beauty of this state yeah you know I love everything about it I mean well, obviously what, there's too many people here now but damn straight that's another but topic they're all coming from <laughs> California but I will say that that's Absolutely. something that people don't quite realize is that engineers field guys uh midstream to upstream to downstream and even geologists first and foremost we are conservationists and we are environmentalists we have to be and we have to be because we want to have as good a day tomorrow as we possibly can but because of yeah. energy yeah and a lot of people don't realize we're we live here too <laughs> we drink the water here are you too. sure yeah you drink like... the water in colorado <laughs> what about the air I do mean... you breathe the air <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I want clean air too, just like anyone else. <laughs> but some of the environmental protections that we put in place building these pipelines are just, it's a lot. In what way? Uh, is it overdone? Is it for the sake of finding and generating additional ways to get paid outside of taxation? Or is it a lot in terms of industry leading environmental regulations? It's a lot in terms of uh, the permitting process and getting everything approved. So the rigmarole, the red tape. There's a lot of red tape. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. With 3.1 billion people off grid across the entire world, red tape is the biggest problem. Absolutely. Well, Trump just tried to change that a couple of days ago, actually. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what's your take on that? He's opening up permitting to make things easier to speed along. So basically we'll the see exact opposite of Colorado. <laughs> yeah. He's actually trying to do exactly the opposite of what polis polis is doing here in colorado but <laughs> the interesting thing about that is we're going to have to just monitor it and see how it goes because he's been trying to do that his whole administration and every single time his administration gets sued and they end up losing in court unfortunately so I mean, the environmentalists hell. they have the ear of the public for the most part and they have a lot of financial backing Mm -hmm. Well, here's hoping that they can actually make it happen because we need them in our court. So there is a unique lifestyle. Oh, yeah. To that. Can you take us through that? Because coming from, I mean, even being field side and being, you know, firm side, mm -hmm. I, there is just, it's a unique individual who can step up and yeah. handle the nomadic life that is midstream. Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that involves in the community? Yeah, the community of what we, we call ourselves pipeliners. Oh, pipeliners? Yeah. So, uh. <laughs> It's a very unique community for sure. There's a lot of highly specialized trades involved in pipeliners. Mm -hmm. you know, there's welders, there's surveyors. Some of the coolest people I've ever met, I've met on the pipeline. Really? People that are still my friends to this day that I met 10 years ago, you know. What are they, are they just like, you know, caravanning around together or how does that all work? A lot of them do stick together. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are some, some, some of the guys stay in the same company for years and they end up going project to project with okay. each other. So, so there's like a contract company that yeah. uh, puts everybody out where they need yeah. to be. So generally we are contractors. Okay. We are, we either work for a contract company or even as an inspector, I was a contractor. Mm -hmm. You know, I was contracted through an inspection company that then worked for the pipeline operator itself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just a really interesting community of people that um, they all kind of got bit by the wanderlust bug at one point. The oil know? field gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this running joke that like if a pipe, if a pipeliner is in one spot for six months, that's that's too much. Like that's he's ready much. to move oh, on. Oh, okay. You know? Interesting. So, um, 
yeah, you kind of never really get a chance to set roots anywhere. You just, you get to travel around, you get to see, like I said, parts of the country that you would never get to see otherwise Exactly on someone else's dime, That's which is really always good. That's really appealing though. <laughs> to like, I mean, literally, you yeah, get I mean, so outside of a comfort zone. If a lot of people want to do that and they talk about it and they say, oh man, I'd, I'd love to travel. Like, mm-hmm. Every time I go home, I hear my friends and my family, they always ask me like, how did you do it? You know, yeah. you've been doing this for like over a decade now. How exactly. is that even possible? <laughs> it's like, well, you just, well, first of all, you got to get your first opportunity and that's Which is hard. It's really tough and pipeline. So, so yeah, talk to us about that because one, this country is lacking tradesmen. We yeah. need more of them. Yeah. They are true art artists and skill sets. Like yep. this is not just something that anybody can walk in. No. So how does someone who let's call him a high school guy who decides, you know, screw college. It's basically glorified babysitting. I want to go out and I want to start making money. How do they get their foot in the door? Well, it's not easy. <laughs> Got to put together some kind of resume that shows that you're willing to work, you know, like, cause what does you'll, that mean? St- you're, you'll start off as a general laborer. Okay. Uh, usually, unless, well, I was lucky. I, my father is an engineer and okay. an architect, so I... So double nerd. I didn't, yeah, <laughs> okay. super nerd. Super nerd. <laughs> I didn't get a chance, I didn't get a choice, you know? Yeah. I was going to either be in the field as a, doing, doing drafting work, or I was going to be, or I'm sorry, I was either going to be in the office doing the drafting, or I was going to be in the field doing the surveying. Exactly. So, so he puts you to work at an early age, so, so to speak. <laughs> so I had a leg up. Yeah. Uh, I was very lucky and I'm very fortunate and I have to thank my dad for that and uh, everybody else that gave me an opportunity thereafter. You really can't do it alone. You have to... But even job to job. I mean, let's say tough. you have it's five really to tough. ten years of experience. So, you know... And this is bouncing around from company to exactly. company. This, that's the nature of this type of work is uh, you got to understand you're not going to just get on with a company and get your pension in 40 years. Exactly. This, it doesn't work like that. Like you're going to do projects. Exactly. You're going to go and you're going to do whatever your task is, whether you're on the coding crew, the welding crew, whether you're the surveyor or an inspector, you're going to do the job there until your task is done. And then you, you got to understand that the paycheck's going to end. You're going to get laid off. And yeah. So you start making connections, right? Okay. So networking is a huge networking, part of the community. Yeah. Um, Self-promotion and networking is a huge part of pipelining. Um, we, like, like 50 we all, guys just logged on to like download some business cards. Yeah. <laughs> Keep yeah. them on you at all times. Exactly. Well, it sounds like it can be kind of rough, you know, just like... It can be. You have it's not to, for the meek, that's e- for sure. Exactly. But it's... it's a um, rough lifestyle. It's almost as if... Uh, if you don't plan ahead, mm-hmm. then you just can't continuously fall out of industry. Yeah. So. Because if you don't make connections mm-hmm. on your first job, and if you don't really do a good job, whatever the task they give you, you know, you got to basically just do it and you can't complain. Exactly. Because with, with Pipeline, there's 10 guys behind you. Waiting to replace waiting you. Waiting to replace you. Yeah. No matter how skilled or experienced you are. And the guys that are waiting for that job will take it for $2 less an hour. You know? Exactly. So it is a very rough industry. And we're seeing industry energy across the whole. Everyone's taking the pay cut. Everyone's humbling themselves, dropping the ego yep. to get their foot in the door. There's layoffs happening. Constantly. constantly. Like scary constantly. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately, that, that's a part of life for the pipeliners. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you, you, it's not if, it's when. Oh, <laughs> 
You know what I mean? <laughs> but on the flip side, if you're good at marketing yourself and, mm-hmm. you, and you're really good at your task and you stay focused and you don't complain and you make friends, um, you're going to get called. You're going to get asked back on the next job. So what you're going to your... develop these skills and exactly. they're going to need that. You know? What are your tips and tricks for properly marketing yourselves? Don't be a dick in the camp yeah. and like cause the fights and have the arguments Absolutely. and try and like, you know, big, big, big be big chief on campus yeah. it's ridiculous yeah you kind of just answered your own question there because really <laughs> it is attitude it's all about staying positive because mm-hmm. we're all out there together you know we're all everyone's miserable together <laughs> yeah exactly don't we're worry all... that happens upstream firm as well we're everyone's yeah, miserable together <laughs> it does for sure the conditions are rough you're away from home you're in the elements mm-hmm. all day every Y'all day you are bringing your girlfriends with you some of us do <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, a lot of them bring their whole families with them. Oh, really? You know, they'll Even get those, like the big, kids? those big RVs, you know, and they'll just have their family with them. That's kind of cool. A lot of times it doesn't work out for one reason or another. Like sometimes the whole family can't be with you. Yeah. You know, because it, it is kind of rough moving kids things. around yeah. and they have to be in a school is really rough Friends, on kids. Yeah. Family. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's not an easy lifestyle for sure. You're going to. You're going to be long months and months away from home, mm-hmm. away from your family. Uh, so you have to kind of like... So you develop this uh, tight-knit family, like a second family almost, okay. on the pipeline. Interesting. You, you know, you're working 10 to 12-hour days with these guys. You're out yeah. there. And if you don't joke around and have fun and it's keep your attitude... Miserable. Yeah. If you don't keep your attitude positive, you're going to be miserable and everybody around you is going to be miserable. Well, let's go back to how you get your foot in the door, because yeah. even those people that have the 10, 20 years of experience mm-hmm. who are used to the, you know, end of contract yeah. coming, they, they've marketed themselves, yep. but the now hard we're part's seeing, done for them. Exactly. Yeah. But now we're seeing hashtags, we're seeing people buying gear and they're thinking that they're a part of a community that's not actually a community it, that's not the point and purpose of the community sure, sure so how do you kind of differentiate the social media lifestyle with actually networking and effectively yeah. networking those are very different things what a lot of these guys really should do is not it's not the answer they want to hear but get in your truck and drive to midland yeah and look for the contractor yards and yeah. show up mm-hmm. they have meetings at 6 or six thirty a.m be there Ooh. Ask for who's in charge of hiring. Mm-hmm. Say you're willing to hold a shovel all day. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. Yeah. And you're going to get turned down a yeah. lot. Um, but Oh, 50 no's to get a yes easily. Easily. Drive out to Pennsylvania. Find out where the projects are. There's Facebook groups. There's websites that list out all the projects, where they're at. Do you Generally, have any good ones that you like? Pipeline-jobs.com is a great resource for that. Excellent. So... Um, that's a website I put together for this actual purpose, like okay, to so help you're not really... only people that are new, or but industry expertise, you know, people that are experienced in the industry as well. Exactly, but you're also rallying a community to help them continuously engage in network. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I'm trying to create a central hub for people to come to mm-hmm. be able to search for jobs in this industry only. Well, what are you noticing that people are not doing well enough then? As far as the new new guys trying to get into it, they're across not, the board. Let's, yeah, let's hit them all. We well, got to be got to be able to write a complete 
sentence for one. Holy you know, snap. so I get. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but I do. I get these messages daily, all day, every day, um, and some of them are completely. I, I don't even understand. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you I don't cannot even... text in text or write an email in text format. <laughs> so, be able to put together some kind of resume that shows your work experience, and highlight the things that you feel like you could bring to the table and really you just got to show up Mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing find out where these projects are happening find out where the oil fields are Mm -hmm. like there's weld county colorado there's project yards everywhere up there yeah you know midland texas midland all googleable googleable yep it's all googleable (laughs) and i post uh Pretty much daily, I post uh, project updates and pipeline news industry updates on my website, which if you if you read through some of the stuff, you can very clearly see where the pockets of work are. Yes. So. Well, that's also something. If you take the time to just educate yourself on even just a high-level news segment, yep. and you can speak intelligently about mm-hmm. what's potentially coming, people, one, yep. they're willing to have a conversation, but two, they're willing to listen to you. Absolutely. And that's another way to be more effective in your networking is mm-hmm. paying it forward by spreading that knowledge. Yeah, that's that's a big part of what I try to do is just stay educated on what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I, I love the West and I'm living in the West but I still try to keep up with what's happening in the East, like yeah. the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Ooh. I, I did some work on that. Tell us about it. Uh, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline is um, where it's been in the works for four years now. Okay. And it's been held up in, at the circuit court in Richmond, Virginia for Damn it, Richmond. Most of those four years. I used to um, live there. They're morons sometimes. The problem is, yeah. <laughs> the problem out there is uh, there's a gas shortage. There's a, yeah. there's a natural gas shortage and people aren't getting the gas they need in the winter Correct. to heat their homes. And they're freezing to death and dying. <laughs> yeah. No, that so, actually is happening. <laughs> I know. It's, it's pretty, it really is very rough. Yeah. It's, it's a very serious problem. Mm-hmm. And Dominion Energy is trying to take uh, fracked gas from West Virginia and build a pipeline down through um, Virginia into North Carolina to provide gas to these markets Mm -hmm. that it's going to help lower the cost of gas and increase the availability of it and it's local yeah it's i say local local, but you know it's cheap and it's affordable because it's more you know economically Mm -hmm. sourced absolutely Mm -hmm. and it's been held up in court with the red tape and the environmentalist the activists the who don't even bother to understand the other side They're just not educated Mm -mm. on the other side. And they're not willing to listen to the other point of view. It's called purposeful ignorance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. 100%. (laughs) Because if you're not willing to have a conversation and listen to, you know, the pros and cons, Mm -hmm. you really have no right to have an opinion on this. Probably, yeah. You know what I mean? Read something other than a Facebook headline. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what people do is they'll read these headlines and not even read the articles a lot of times. You know? I know the headlines are so fun though. <laughs> Very sensationalized, highly yeah. sensationalized. And, um, but these people that, uh, protest the pipelines, you know, they mobilize from all over the country. They're so, not local to these communities. Talk to me about these professional protesters being paid to it's, go protest pipelines. It's a propaganda machine and it's not necessarily about protecting the environment. It's about, it's about sensationalism. 
It's mm-hmm. about sensationalizing all of so likes on the, Instagram. The potential negative aspects that could come about from a pipeline in the event that it leaks. In the event, which is actually very rare. Especially the way we build them now. Uh, with look, the current API specifications mm-hmm. that we hold ourselves to. Oh, yeah. You know? And the thing is, is that that is expected. You expect an industry mm-hmm. to get better and to evolve. The way we were drilling wells back in the 50s Correct. is not how we drill wells now. And you want it at magnitudes better. And to their credit, uh, I will say that we have drastically improved our environmental performance as a result of some of these protests and some of these environmentalists yeah. that have held up the pipeline projects. Mm-hmm. It all started with the Alaska pipeline. Okay. So there's actually a really cool documentary on YouTube about the Alaska pipeline project. What's it called? Um, I would just literally get on YouTube and type in Alaska pipeline documentary. Okay. It's really cool. Yeah. It all started uh, in the early 70s when the environmental groups that were trying to protect um, Alaska and prevent the Alaskan pipeline from being built, mm-hmm. all these new environmental laws got put in place and the, the company that was Alieska, the company that was trying to build the pipeline, okay. which was a conglomerate from other big oil corporations, I believe Shell was involved, um, some major, major oil companies trying to build this pipeline. Um, they basically just agreed to a lot of things um, that were nearly impossible to do constructability wise mm-hmm. um, in order to get the thing pushed through. Okay. So the, the environmentalists just just hammered them in federal court and won a lot. It's, it's highly detailed in that documentary. You mm-hmm. should definitely watch it. But, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of what started all the... Uh, the environmental regulations that have hit midstream so hard. Well, you know, like in the late 60s, early 70s, that's when all the predictions of the end of the world were coming out. Sure. We were running out of oil. Sure. We were going to melt the planet. We were basically going to create this giant fireball and kill us all. Not one of those have come true. Now, certain aspects are definitely up for negotiation, mm-hmm. such as we know that temperatures are getting warmer. Nobody is denying that, but being first and foremost conservationist and environmentalist, it is our job as the industry or energy industry to find a solution. And I think we do a damn good job of that. So to your point, higher API regulations, pipelines, come on. Um, Well, I do have to say that uh, obviously the climate is changing. Climate changes. Climate's not the same up in Colorado that it is in Mississippi. It's never been the same. Nope. And... In the words of the great Dan Pena, global warming is the biggest fraud that's ever been perpetrated on the human race. Why is that? Because um, well, I don't think we're climate deniers in this industry. No, we're not climate deniers, but the propaganda surrounding it is, again, sensationalizing the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's pointing the finger at industry, and it's not necessarily justified in a lot of ways. Okay. Because um, I believe there's a lot more contributors than just oil and gas. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize, like... It's, oh, we're such a sliver of it. It's oil and gas. Those are not the same thing. A lot of what I do is natural gas. Yeah. Uh, like, a big project I worked on up in northern Colorado was converting a coal plant, one of Excel Energy's, the Cherokee power plant, mm-hmm. converting that from coal over to natural gas. That's cool. Yeah, it was... It's a huge thing. Yeah. And natural gas is way cleaner burning than coal, as yeah. you know. So... Why wouldn't we want to build pipelines? Exactly. To 
funnel this natural gas into these communities and lower our emissions that way. Mm-hmm. You but know? you know, under a poll is this new thing. You can't even cremate a body in the state anymore. You have to put them in compost. What if I wanted to burn to make sure that nobody <laughs> could conjure my soul back? <laughs> we don't come out as an industry and try to educate the public in, in these ways or other any ways that we can mm-hmm. you know, come up with. Because mm-hmm. we haven't done a very good job of that. Nope. Honestly, the oil and gas industry has not had a very good public-facing um, front. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of it is just their old school... They're just but like, what does that you know? actually mean? Because did we ignore the problem or did we try and fix it and we just don't, we don't communicate the proper way? Or just, is it just the reality that the 20% that don't like us just are never going to listen? Because there's, it can't just be old school. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of they just won't listen no matter what. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to hear anything mm-hmm. about it. Uh, yet at the same time... Some of these protesters will drive up to these sites to protest in their Range Rovers. No shit. They're really doing that? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, they'll have a, a big caravan full of Suburbans loaded with hippies, and they'll roll <laughs> up in their gas-guzzling Suburban to protest. And they trash the landscape. They destroy it. <laughs> and like I said, these people are paid protesters. They're not necessarily... Uh, environmentalists a lot of them are some of them are just brainwashed unfortunately they like i said they drank the kool-aid exactly so they're just but also they're getting paid to do it it's their job and they're honestly they're getting paid to party yeah there's a lot a lot of that that goes on too is it really oh absolutely so from the midstream perspective what what can y'all do what can't y'all do how how do we draw a line in the sand that says you know what fucking enough well enough is enough and I think there's a lot of us that are finally coming out and putting our foot down. It's kind I mean, of what I'm doing not... right now. I'm passionate about the industry. Exactly. It's provided for me and my family for years. Mm-hmm. And it's given me a life that I never thought I would have. Exactly. It's and a cool fucking life. A really cool, yeah. advent- adventure-filled life. And I've seen so much. And I've met so many cool people. And there's so much good that mm-hmm. has come from this industry that I just feel like I, I got to stand up for it. You exactly. Know? And... And that doesn't involve taking someone out back and giving them a whooping. It, it no. has to do with how we communicate, where we say yeah. enough is enough, and push back on regulations, show up. Sure. And a lot of what I what I mean when I say it's they're just old schools, they just don't understand the way that things have evolved. Have evolved in such a way where the propaganda machine is is so easily digested by the public now mm-hmm. and so quickly regurgitated without thought. So oil and gas needs to get better with social media, with podcasts, Correct. with YouTube. More of this. With, um, More hell, of this. even like a uh, docu-series. It's funny, our company, we joke around about that, how it would be a hilarious uh, reality TV show. Oh my God, to it film would be us so good. Running around like idiots, just having fun on the job. You know? Exactly. And we do have a lot of fun on the job. We love our job. We it- love the industry. Um, a lot of us are real good friends. Um, it's just, For as it's really a community sad. Is, it's a very tight knit community. It's a very highly tight knit community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just really sad to see what's happening here in the great state of Colorado. Oh, with, the zero our, investment state of Colorado. I mean, seriously, the mountains are about to shut down. I give it like just a few years because what runs the mountains, what makes it all so fun? Mm-hmm. Oil and gas. I mean, every fiber of every product that people have in their homes. Mm-hmm. 
is partially developed with petroleum-based products. Oh, 100%. And people, I just don't think people realize that. Mm -hmm. People don't have all the information. That's why they they don't want to hear it. Exactly. They, they don't... I don't know if they just... I think there's like this cognitive dissonance thing that's happening with some of these people that are brainwashed, that are anti-pipeline. Mm -hmm. It's like they see it. They know the products that they use. They, they're stuck in a system that is uh, inevitably going to consume regardless. Yeah. They're just unaware. Amazon alone. They're just unaware of, you know, the packaging on the products that they buy. Everything. So you've alluded to pipelines being the safer, most environmentally friendly option out there. And yet we're still seeing people using trains. We're seeing trucking. Like, how do companies get on board? How do we find the funds in order to properly set up the grid so that less disasters do happen? Well, the funding is, they haven't done a, a cost-benefit analysis on it because okay. a, lot of the, a lot of them just uh, have never built a pipeline. Mm -hmm. Like some of the extraction companies. There is like a disconnect between upstream yeah, and midstream. There is. Yeah. And a lot of them are just, uh, they don't have the expertise in that because mm -hmm. there's not that communication between midstream and upstream. How do we fix that? The way I'm trying to fix it is now that I'm here in the state of Colorado, I'm working with these upstream operators mm -hmm. and bringing my pipeline expertise to the table mm -hmm. and presenting um, an alternative. You yeah. Know? So one of the ways that I did that was I, I started doing surveying on these sites, on these drill pads. Uh, under API spec that okay. would meet uh, FEMSA audit standards and FERC standards. All the red tape. Because that's all I know. Mm -hmm. I, all I know is to go in and shoot everything and document every little piece and part and make sure that it would uh, pass an audit mm -hmm. in the event that it ever happened. Yeah. It's a good thing I did that because <laughs> now the state of Colorado is coming back and saying we need all this information mm -hmm. that previously wasn't being captured. Yeah. As far as... For flow lines? Flow lines. Yeah, because of and, the 181. Yeah, and materials. Yeah, yeah And okay. all of the, uh, like, valves and everything down to the smallest little weldolette or threadolette that's mm -hmm. on the pipe. Yeah. Valve settings, um, flanges. <laughs> I mean, it's all of the information. It's insane amount of detail. It's a crazy amount of, like, it's it's a lot of isometric drawing and measuring things out. But isn't it kind of cool that, like, and again, a disconnect with the state operators midstream we were already doing this now that yeah. you just put it on paper doesn't mean we weren't doing it yeah and i think uh i mean if they got the funds to truck this product across the country they certainly have the funds to build a pipeline it's really expensive trucking and it's kind of one and done too mm -hmm. you build the pipeline now you have the the transportation handled, absolutely you know from point a to point b mm -hmm. and it's safer because it's buried four feet underground you know and and it's we, constantly monitored. <laughs> constantly monitored. Um, the API last year just came out with new specifications on documentation of uh, midstream and pipeline materials, mm -hmm. which kind of lays out all the paperwork that's supposed to be provided um, to the federal government or to local agencies or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. on you know every little piece every little nut and bolt on these pipelines are meticulously stress tested oh yeah you know um you have to and the coatings that are put on these welds are you know the, the stuff lasts years and years mm -hmm. and years and years decades exactly the the 
Trucking does not last decades. The specs that we put on the on the builds on these pipelines are just it's way safer than trucking for sure. So now that we have the introduction of 181, do you think that there is going to be more transferable skill sets between pipeliners and what's happening in upstream? It's happening. Okay. So if you're getting laid off from midstream, there's an opportunity for upstream and vice versa? Yep. Okay. Correct. Talk to us about that. Well, a lot of the skills are kind of interchangeable. Okay. You know what I mean? So I, I, was, I mean, I believe you. I just... Yeah. It's funny that there's such a disconnect between the two entities. Yeah. I mean, both need, you know, highly skilled welders mm -hmm. and coding crews and, you know, general laborers and operators and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the, and I've seen that happen with my company who we came in with a lot of my partners all have pipeline experience okay but we are primarily focused on pad sites right now like yeah. extraction sites that's awesome so you're so you're going really all the way to wellhead fully that's awesome absolutely we build our flow lines straight to the wellhead and i map everything out meticulously just like i would on a standard mainline mm -hmm. midstream pipeline project mm -hmm. so how is automation and machine learning changing the game for midstream from the pipeliner's perspective? Well, the monitoring on the pipelines is pretty much all automated, automated now. That's awesome. There's companies that have come up with some pretty impressive, um, you know, software mm -hmm. systems that they've put in place. Yeah. And this is a lot of that's beyond my expertise, but I've been in the control rooms and I've seen the <laughs> monitoring systems and it looks like a space station. It's that's freaking insane. awesome. <laughs> So the technology, um, the technology innovation in pipeline and midstream has really come a long way. Okay. It's, it's amazing. Is there room for pipeliners to start re branching out into some of those coding options? Because it's easy to learn and there's so many online resources. Is there, is there an yeah. automated state where they can start taking advantage of it? Sure. I mean, all this information now is available on the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and there's training resources on the internet. So there's a, a variety of API certifications that you can get. There's a variety of uh, NACE coding inspections that you can get. There's uh, welding inspection certifications. So there's just a lot of opportunity, it seems. Y'all see the environmental impacts. You see the protesters. You see the breakdown. You see where the money's coming from. What is the best way to survive and thrive in midstream? from your perspective? I would say, uh, like I said before, just keep a positive attitude and uh, learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Absorb as much information as you can. Interesting. And, and don't just focus on your trade. Oh, so stretch outside your role? Sure, that's how I got involved with inspection, mm -hmm. is because you know a lot of the skills and tasks that we do as inspectors are interchangeable with surveyors. Mm -hmm. A lot of the documentation of the materials and everything like that. How does so, communication work from field to farm? I mean, it's super helpful for, for the office people to come out and do field visits mm -hmm. and actually spend some time or maybe even a week on yeah. a pipeline project with yeah. whatever trade that they're interested in learning about. Join um, the camp for a week. Join the camp. Get your hands dirty. Show up, you know, just show up and learn. Leave the khakis know? at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put your FRs on. Put your hard hat on. Get, get your, your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. Get stop your... bitching. Exactly right. <laughs> Definitely no bitching. That's not allowed. How can communication improve uh, between the theoretical work and the actual design? Yeah, that's a big part of my career. 
that's a huge Never part mind. of what we'll I... We'll leave that as job security. No, yeah, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> so the skill set that it takes to be able to have that line of communication open is... Uh, it's definitely learned. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to learn new languages and new ways of going about things. And But like I said, it's it's just a huge part of what I've done is because I have that background with an engineering company. Like my, my dad worked, mm-hmm. he owned his own engineering and, and design firm. So yeah. I kind of have that background. So again, I have a leg up there, but um, just trying to keep an open mind okay you know what i mean yeah that's Being tough. willing to pick up the phone and speak to someone oh man yeah <laughs> a lot of problems could be resolved if the field guys would just pick up the phone every now and then pick up the damn phones you carry it around all day anyway yeah so, so talk to me about being an entrepreneur in this industry because you have <laughs> you're also an author so you have your book yeah. you have your pipeliners website which yeah. is pipeline-jobs.com sure. you're building some other uh secret mm-hmm. sauce things yeah, for yeah. midstream and pipeline you're an author so talk to me about being an entrepreneur and looking for opportunities and building side hustles because quite yeah. frankly if you're making less than $150,000 I don't care of your industry you need a side hustle especially in Colorado especially anywhere are yeah. you kidding me it's too expensive to like be born these days I know it's crazy I mean you got to be motivated to better yourself and if you think that you're just going to work for a company for somebody else for the rest of your life and that's going to be enough it's not it's not we don't live in that world anymore nope. There's of, not the white picket fence is bullshit no, now. I mean, the American dream as it was in the 50s and 60s is not the same as it is now for my generation and mm-hmm. especially the generations coming after me. You you're going to have to be a you're, hustler. You're going to have to hustle. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You're not going to make enough money working for a company to be able to retire eventually. It's just not going to happen. What's retirement? Plus, nobody in our industry retires. We petrify at our desk or at our I job. I can't imagine <laughs> retiring. I, you know, I had a conversation with one of the guys I work with the other day about this, and I just don't see it as even an option. Mm. I'll always work. Yeah, you know? it's fun. If I if I end up selling a business and doing well, I'll start another business exactly. and do it again because I can't stop. You no, know? even if I won the lottery, yeah. like, yeah, sure, I'd take a week off. But, like, after that, I'd be like, all yeah. right, what's up? <laughs> yeah, so the entrepreneurial spirit is just born from uh, filling gaps mm-hmm. in the market. <laughs> seeing and we've a need. got a lot right now with everything yeah. pivoting there's so many opportunities if you sure. think you have a good idea make it happen so my company latitude field services mm-hmm. we just saw a niche and we just dove headfirst into it and y'all we, have we been just, blowing up it's crazy I, I mean we started this company last year and it's already just yeah like it's exploded it's unreal but we just saw this niche of providing a service to these operators um that they don't really have. It's mm-hmm. a full turnkey product. Yeah. We have everything from general laborers up to welders, operators, and survey all mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So we do, we can do design, build, as built, submit the final paperwork, all of it, you know. That's awesome. And so we saw the need for... Again, you saw a cradle-to-grave need. Sure. And yeah. it, it came from a lot of these operators are using contract companies that are these massive conglomerate corporations that... There's too much, there's too much bureaucracy there. There's too much, too many levels of communication and management. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible for the client to even communicate to them properly. Mm-hmm. So again, we just, we just saw the need and we filled it, you know. That's awesome. Just making it a lot easier. But you also have like three other side hustles. Tell us about your book. 
Um, well, I've been writing this book since I started traveling. Okay. I've just been keeping a travel journal. And a lot of it is industry specific, just stuff that I've learned along the way. Yeah. So I have these... The rules of thumb. I have these little field books yeah. that I've carried with me and I've filled dozens of them just with daily insights and daily thoughts and just a lot of photography. So there's, it's going to be a travel journal that chronicles my whole career of pipelining. That's awesome. And it's going to have a lot of a lot of cool pictures. It'll be field notes of a pipeline surveyor.com. So it's coming out mid-year? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Hold me to it. Well, it sounds pretty interesting. So you obviously have such a passion for this industry. Definitely. You're willing to take a, like, you know, draw a line in the stand, start mm -hmm. having the hard conversations and start saying it's not all like lifting <clears throat> the green veil, so to speak. It needs to be done. It absolutely does. But where are we headed? We're in a new decade. Mm -hmm. We're in an election cycle and every Democratic ca candidate. And again, energy, everybody wants their lights to turn on. This should not be a partisan issue. It should be a matter of high quality life versus no quality life. Sure. So where are we headed? What do you guys foresee? What are y'all excited about in midstream? What are you terrified about in midstream? Um, we're headed towards educating the public and increasing the communication so between our industry stand. and the general population. I think that's fair. That's where we're headed and that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and fortunately, we currently have an administration that is pro oil and gas mm -hmm. and doing everything in their power to push forward, you know, the infrastructure revitalization that needs to happen throughout yeah. the country. It's actually a really exciting time to have, it's to rare, have politicians really behind us. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just an ironic thing that's happening, how different it is in Washington versus the state level of Colorado. Colorado is politically correct. Oh, yes. Um, however... We are an energy producing, energy positive state. Mm -hmm. We can continue to be, yeah, if if the right choices are made, you know. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we've actually led the way as far as technology innovation and uh, environmental impact. Environmental everything. impact. Um, we are the case study, and in a good way. Emissions monitoring and recapture. Like, oh, recapture is so cool. So I think that's where we're headed. I think there's a lot of really exciting projects coming up um, if we can just get them approved mm -hmm. to actually build them. I want to see the Northeast um, actually get the gas that they need to the families and the oh, communities. And I, I it's heartbreaking, isn't it? It really is. It truly is. And I wish there was more awareness of you know the, the actual reasons behind these projects. Mm -hmm. It's not just for private profit. Yeah, you know? we're always painted as a money-hungry industry. And that's sure. just that if we were money-hungry, I wouldn't be working for the paycheck I'm working for. And the margins would look a shit ton better than they do. Yeah, exactly. It's really, it's a humanitarian effort that I think the energy industry provides. What are your, how can people get involved? How how can Midstream get more more vocal about the uh, the benefits they provide? We can mobilize to um, to our politicians, okay, and speak to them directly. Mm -hmm. Write letters. There's uh, there's a lot that can be done at these community meetings, these pre-job meetings that happen. Mm -hmm. We can show up, show up, and fight the narrative. Yeah, and have the conversation with the people. That's what I've been doing for twelve years now. Having yeah. conversations with landowners exactly. That it's directly affects them. Mm -hmm. You know. So it's easy for me to say that because I, I know how to have that conversation. Exactly. But 
more of that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. You can't just keep your nose down and do the work because the work's going to run out unless you fight for it. Well, in all honesty, that head down work ethic is probably what got us into this because we ignored the naysayers and then we yep. allowed them to grow. But that's really why, the reality is we're just hard workers. That's why I say, you know, we're just kind of old school and we have to bring ourselves into the modern era. We have to understand that social media is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and like you have to deal with it. Because <laughs> You have to put the app on your phone. <laughs> well, that's where all the propaganda is. Mm -hmm spit out to the public as social media. So how can you mobilize? How can you engage? Are you providing this through social media currently? Sure. Yeah, I have a Facebook group. It's a it's Pipeline Jobs, the Facebook group. People can go on there and join up, post pictures of the projects they're yeah. working on. Uh, Show all your hard work. Show yeah, all the exactly. good stuff you're doing. Yeah, there's there's a Facebook page, Pipeline Jobs. on my. It's all linked through my website, pipeline-jobs.com. Okay. Um, so, so that a, could be the community movement that we need from the There's a community of, I think there's over 11,000 followers on there now. Damn straight. Just pipeliners and people trying to get into pipeline. And, you know, that's where I post all my news feeds, any kind of updates to the industry that's happening. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that also on Latitude Field Services pages. We're trying to build out the social media Absolutely. Link for that. Up. What are your final professional recommendations? From the new buck to the old guy, how how to get ahead, how to stay relevant, and honestly, is it time for you to leave industry, transfer <laughs> skill sets? Like seriously, what are you seeing from your side of the matrix? I think you always got to constantly try to learn and better yourself, learn mm -hmm. new skills. Um, our industry is very certification heavy, <laughs> so get some cert certifications. Like how can study. they start doing that? Um, there's classes that people can take. Again, I said I'll have all these resources on my website. Go take a NACE course. Go take a API course. That's you cool. Know, learn, learn yeah. the industry. Learn multiple facets of the industry because mm -hmm. it's all interlinked. It's all connected. You know, that's yeah. one thing I've learned as a surveyor is that my job, it, you know, mingles in and out of all these different trades and skills. And mm -hmm. so you gotta ask questions. You gotta constantly evolve constantly evolve mm -hmm. be comfortable getting uncomfortable you have to live in a state of discomfort or mm -hmm. you're not growing exactly you know? that's absolutely true and so. that doesn't matter what industry you're in or where you are in your career exactly just realize that you're going to be learning until you're dead and then you're going to yep. learn what death is yep. and it's fine tell us about how you stay organized you've got a lot going on you have side hustles you're building a company that's absolutely exploding you're mobilizing communities like what do you do in your day what is your secret sauce to stay organized efficient proactive instead of just being of putting out fires it's pretty simple i just take a lot of notes <laughs> honestly I, I hate to like say it like that and there's no secret sauce there i really just have a notebook with me everywhere i go i keep my ipad near uh -huh. i'm constantly looking things up and either storing notes in my phone or writing stuff down in my book do you think very meticulous stuff, do you do you think writing stuff down is better than putting things yeah. in your phone yeah i learn better when i write it down write it down and then speak it Yes. <laughs> it helps. No, it really makes a difference. Really I laugh, but like it's the secret sauce to everything. So that's how I do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have all these things kind of categorized in my mind too. So I have very specific visions of like the way I want the website to be, all the features I want it to have. 
and I have very specific vision on my business, Latitude Field Services, and yeah. my portion of it being the surveying, mapping, and inspection. Yeah. I have a very specific vision of how I'm going to manage that and how I'm going to organize the documentation side of it. And this just comes from a decade of submitting as-built projects to government agencies mm-hmm. and to clients. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just... It's all very specifically laid out in my head. But the thing I like about you is you know how to make it happen in your yeah. head, but you also put it on paper so it becomes an actionable sure. item. And that's what everyone needs to take away is just because you think it, if you don't turn around and try and put it into action, yep. it's not your idea yep. until you actually do it. Yeah. What is a book, podcast, Netflix documentary, or other resource that has brought you value that you would like to pay forward or recommend to pay forward? I would search for the Pipeliner podcast on iTunes. That's really good. Really? It is a really good podcast that That's... I just recently discovered, embarrassingly. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, great. get with it. <laughs> it's great. I mean, the dude has some really interesting topics on there. Oh. And the Crude Audacity podcast oh, yeah. oh, on iTunes. Damn straight. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time today. You have brought such value. You have opened up our eyes to what's happening in Midstream and the Pipeliner lifestyle, which sounds fucking cool. And seriously, we can't wait to hear more about what's happening with Latitude in the future and all you have at pipeline-jobs.com. So thank you so much for all you did today. Thank you. It's been great. Well, damn straight. I think it's clear that pipeliners love this country, protect our environment, and are willing to fight the good fight. Thank you, Brandon Carey, for stepping up and saying what needs to be said. As y'all know, 2020 is going to be a killer year and there is a lot to do. So head on over to the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com to check out upcoming events, sponsorship opportunities, and what is happening around the oil patch. Hold on, one more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, Give them hell.